All right, book of Romans, chapter 1. Book of Romans. We've already done our prelude. We've already done our intro. Now we're just going to jump right into the scriptures and talk about Paul's epistle or letter. That's what epistle means is letter to the church at Rome. I think we ended down here at verse 17 that the just shall live by faith. As you recall around here, that's a big motive for all Christians, supposed to be, that we all live by faith. That means we uh, order our beliefs and our lifestyle by what we believe. That means we obey God because of our faith. We receive from God because of our faith. We have a lifestyle because of our faith. We make choices because of our faith. We find the will of God because we believe. So use your faith to, to find the will of God and stay in the will of God for your life. Use your faith for that, to walk with Jesus. All right, verse 18. We're going to start here, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness or hold the truth in unrighteousness. So today we're going to have to talk about the wrath of God. Come on, let me hear some amen. Glory to God. I know we did some chastisement talk a couple weeks ago. Uh, now we're doing the wrath of God, so it's going to be just as good. Praise the Lord. And you need to see how, where this fits, because these, these first two and a half chapters, three chapters, are, are important to get the perspective of what Paul's saying, okay? Uh, so just stay with me here. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who suppress or hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you see, that, you see that in modern day as well, where ungodly people are uh, squelching what is right. That's right. Amen. And they're saying that what is right is, what is wrong is right. They're, they're, they're saying that unrighteousness is true right. and truth. No, no, no. They're, 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 they're doing exactly what this scripture says here. Because what may be known of God is manifest in, manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Uh, and then it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. We're going to get to that in just a second, but I want to go back to 18, about the wrath of God being revealed. Just so you get a, a picture of how this works. Uh, John 3, verse 36 says this to the Jews regarding Jesus' ministry. It says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John three thirty six. The wrath of God abides on anyone who does not believe in the Son. You understand that? He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the, the Son does not have everlasting life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So any unsaved person has the wrath of God on them. That doesn't mean they're getting destroyed every day. Hammered every day. That's not what it means. It's a label. The wrath of God is the, sign, the signature, or we could say the shipping label for the future. 
the wrath of God is coming. Mm -hmm. And it will be seen on every unsaved person. They'll all experience it on the day of judgment, the day of wrath. Okay? So just keep that in mind. We'll read some more scripture to prove it. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, because you have to add this or combine this with the gospel. The gospel is that you can be saved. So God's goodness, you're going to read that in a minute, God's goodness and his love is for everybody. So even though his wrath has, they're designated for wrath. That's the destiny for every unsaved person, designated for wrath. God still sent his son to save them and his love to love them and his goodness to persuade them and his healing power to deliver them. So that's where the gospel comes in to save people from this wrath. So Colossians here, chapter three, verse four, when Christ who is our life appears, you will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members, which are in the earth or on the earth, fornication. So here, here he's talking to Christians. Because Christ is going to appear, you put to death your members on the earth, fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness, evil passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. So you, if you recognize these in your life, you put them to death. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience or the sons of disobedience. And so we've taught this before uh, when we went through the book of Romans, I mean the book of Colossians. The, either you're a son of God or you're a son of disobedience. So the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. And they're doing all these things. What the scripture is saying is don't you do them too. Verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So you used to live in those. Come, you've been saved. Now you're a son of God, not a son of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming for them. Don't do what they're doing. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, filthy language. So, so he, he's... He's addressing the fact that we are saved out of darkness into light. So you make sure you put off all of your filthiness. It doesn't mean that you're totally, completely never going to sin again. It doesn't mean that you're instantly cleaned and perfect in all that you do and think. So you have to put it off now. So, so notice how the wrath of God is coming for the sons of disobedience. If you obey disobedience, if that's your father... Then, then the wrath of God is on you. But if you've been born again, then God is your father. All right, so go back to Romans. We'll see a little bit more on it in a, in a moment here. Let's move to verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as he... he even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because all they, they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, 
neither were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Stop there for just a second. Go back to this verse 20. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. That's why every unsaved person, every human can walk outside and notice, wow, there's a God. It's clear. You can just examine anything in nature and notice there's a God. You could take a look at any painted frog. It could be this big. (laughs) There's a God. Look at that. Take the wood duck. There's a, somebody created this thing. This is pretty magnificent. You go to the mountains, God's there. The sunset. Wow, God. Everything speaks to the fact that God made it. Even his Godhead, even the fact that he's deity, even the fact that he's a person. You know, you have to think of it that if his creation can think and love and design and create and feel and hate or appreciate dream, appreciate beauty, how much more can the creator? So if the thing created has all these wonderful attributes, how much more would he? And it would take real ignorance to deny that. And what he's saying here is, uh, over in Acts 17, there's a scripture that says something very similar. It says uh, that we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. So the the contrast is that that God is some golden calf or statue. And it says in in those times, God winked at that. Here these people are making statues. It's not such a big practice today, but back then false gods always had a statue of some sort. How silly. To think that that's really a God compared to the real Godhead, deity would be Godhead. The the divine essence would be Godhead. And it denotes a divine personality. So there must be an eternal power behind all these things. And it must have some touch of personality. He's a personal deity. He's a personal God. Psalm 104 says, verse 24 says, O Lord, how how manifold are thy works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your riches. So it would take a real fool to deny the fact that there's a real creator. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Uh, You can just turn on any science channel. And find those type of folks. You can go to a lot of college campuses and find these folks. If your child goes to college campus, you need to prepare them ahead of time for these folks. That there's some uh, self-professing wise people who are actually fools. Don't listen to them. 
just get their piece of paper and run off and go get a job. Verse 23, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Notice it says incorruptible God, I underlined that, incorruptible God. To say that he's something of the earth, even man-made, it's a disgrace to him. He's incorruptible. He's perfect. He's wonderful and holy and pure. And you'll see one day how wonderful and holy and pure. Anybody that gets in his presence in a real way, they just hit the dirt. It's like, oh, he's so wonderful, so perfect, so beautiful. You'll have no complaint against him when you get in his presence. You'll have no doubts when you get in his presence. You'll have no anger. You'll have no sin when you get in his presence. You'll oh, man, so wonderful. If you get in God's presence, you'll want to fly around like the seraphim saying, holy, 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 holy. That's all, you'll, that's all you'll sense is he's so wonderful. And he's your father. He's personal to you. He's not just some orb. He's not just some light. He's not just some emanating sparkles in heaven. He's a person who's just the best in the whole wide universe plus. So he's real and he's incorruptible. Incorruptible. And the truth is, so are you. Not your old body and not your crazy mind. We're working on both of those. But the real you is actually incorruptible. The very moment that you got born again, your spirit became incorruptible. Now, there is some effort that you need to put forth to keep that sense of incorruption. Connected to your soul, which needs to be cleaned. First Peter chapter one, verse 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The incorruptible God put his incorruptible seed into you the moment you were born again. And so you were born of something incorruptible. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Uh, it is possible to dishonor your body. Well, how? Think about it. Just don't do it. Think about it. We don't have to give you a list of how to dishonor your body. Just quit it. Maybe don't, don't, don't go too far but quit it. Follow your conscience. Don't dishonor your body. Some of the liberties people take create uh, ruts in their, in their consciousness concerning that just, it creates de deterioration. You start damaging yourself, it'll create deterioration for your future psyche. So be careful what you do to your body when you're young. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They exchanged the truth for the lie, worship and serve the creature. You see that in many different ways. We could call it humanism, 
That's a secular or that's a modern day word that we use to, to describe those who uh, elevate the premier focus being the human rather than God. Simple as that. Uh, an outlook of thought attaching prime importance to humanity rather than to something divine, rather than God. Uh, it's where you get all sorts of little, little sayings, little false beliefs that drive people. Like you only live once, so do whatever you want. Well, that, all that does is, is put emphasis on you doing, uh, being your own God. So YOLO and FOMO, what else is there? I don't know. You, you do only live once, YOLO. You only live once, so live for God. That's what I would say. Uh, the other one would be something like it's your life. No, your life is not your own. Amen. The humanists say it's your life, do whatever you want. No, 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 no. My life is not my own. I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in my body and in my mind, which are God's. <clears throat> or in a free country, you can do whatever you want to, as long as it doesn't hurt or offend somebody. Well, there's a lot of things that you could do that might not offend somebody, but they would offend God, so you don't do them. So it's not just you in this life. You're not your own God. Amen. Once you submit to the Lord, you're supposed to submit to the Lord Jesus. Let him be Lord. It's, it's the reason that so many believers in God, they haven't figured this out yet. They haven't actually taken the step away from this type of thinking. And so they don't have time for church because they're serving themselves. You've got to serve God. Well, I'm serving my family. Well, maybe you've created them all. Maybe you're worshiping your family instead of God. What about worshiping, serving God? No time for the, the creator? You're going to worship and serve the created more? Uh, there's hero worship I listed here. Hero worship. We got plenty of that these days because of mass media. You can see all the heroes of the whole world in every arena of life. Um, do you get nervous around popular people? You ever met, anybody ever met a star? Did you get nervous? If you're born again and filled with the Spirit, you'd never get nervous. The President of the United States could come in and it wouldn't be a big deal. Your first thought would be, let me go get him saved. We can make idols out of people. Uh, religious figures. We can make idols out of what we do. I'd say there's personal project worship. The thing that you're into could be elevated to a place that you worship it. Why? What does that mean? It's the thing that you feel special because of. You got to be very careful of those things. You're worshiping, serving something created rather than the creator. So anything that makes you feel separate or special, that's not straight regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father and the body of Christ is probably not something you ought to be putting too much attention on. Do it well, just don't put your heart on it. Uh, anything that makes you feel special or above somebody else is probably uh, carnal and not necessary. Everybody wants to feel special, and the tendency is do something to make yourself feel special. And God says don't. You are special. Just listen to God. You are special. That'll be good for everybody. 
Uh, this would span across uh, animal worship. There's people that, uh, you know, protect animals more than people, care about animals more than people, argue for animal rights more than people rights. Uh, hate to throw it in there, but your pets could be honored more than, served more than, I won't dabble there any longer. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't go to church. I got because my dog will be sad. You, you laugh, you laugh. I can't, I can't go to the fellowship. My, my cat, my cat will miss me. You just, okay. Earth worship, obviously there's plenty of earth worship. Um, intellect worship, science worship, people esteem that so highly. You know, any, any discussions, what do the scientists say? Government worship. And then let's move on to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Stop there for just a second. We're going to go through each one of those words. Aren't you glad? Okay. But I want you to see verse 26 again. This reason God gave them up to vile passions. If you press hard enough, God will give you over to it. So be careful of your obsessions. Be careful of your indulgences. Be careful of your wrong thinking. Be careful of buying into any lie. You press hard enough for it. God will, okay. Okay, go ahead. I, I, I'll let you go. I'll let you go and you can go be that. And that's what they did. They lusted after the same sex, homosexuals. He said, okay, you're going to press that hard for it? Fine. You can have it. And it takes them over. So any temptation, any sin, any obsession that, that we have, if you're going to neglect God and keep neglecting God and, and, and resist God, he'll, he'll, he'll let you have it. And it could be other things other than fornication and, and sexual stuff. It could be uh, the way you think about yourself. You keep thinking like that, he'll give you over to it. You keep pressing to, to be a pessimist and a, and a hater of, of hope, you'll end up depressed. You, you, you reject all valid, rational Bible knowledge to help your condition and, and, and almost refuse help. Okay, I've seen it happen to people. He'll just give you over to that thing that you're pressing for. So don't be stubborn. How many stubborn people do we have? How many stiff-necked people do we have in here? Nobody's raising their hand. <laughs> Don't be stubborn with God. Don't be stiff-necked about things. We've got to be pliable. Listen, it's, it's harmed a lot of people who just 
You know, they're just button heads and just refusing any instruction. And especially if somebody else that they know tries to tell them, it's like, oh, you know, who are you to tell me what to do? Well, just somebody with a scripture. Just, just trying to help a little. And a part of this is just because the nature of God is he's, you know, he's not going to force you to be right. He's not going to force you to be wonderful. He's not going to force you to succeed and have victory in life. He's not going to force you to beat the devil. He's given you the tools to resist the devil and overcome Satan and every temptation and everything. And he needs you to do it. He'll remind you and he'll help you until you keep refusing him. And then you'll find that you lose the will to even get out of it. That's the danger of homosexuality and some of these twisted, perverted type lifestyles people have. They get in it because of their own volition, their own cognizant decision. I want it, I want it, I want it, I'm fighting for it. And then all of a sudden they're in it, there's not even a will to get out of it. Uh, verse 29, being filled, or uh, verse 28, gave them over to a debased mind. That debased would be like a, a lower level, a, a weaker mind, a in the dirt mind. Uh, there's also the reprobate mind, uh, meaning just void of morality, just morally corrupt. You gave them, give them over to it. And do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, just nothing that is right. Sexual immorality. Uh, you know, I'm surprised that, you know, I think everybody kind of knows that pornography is a huge problem in society, uh, but yet nobody's arguing against it. Like, if we're going to fight something, why can't we fight that? How come we don't fight that? When do we get to fight that? Um, it's a huge problem. No, it's number one, two, or three on the list. It's the, it's, it's the big killer of the whole United States. Other countries do ban it. There's some communist countries that actually ban it because they know what it's going to do to the people. The problem is, if you say we're going to live in a free country, then you can do what you want. And so you can't necessarily ban it. Not in a free country. You can't just ban what you want to ban. Because if Christians were in charge, we'd ban everything evil. If Christians were in charge, we would force everybody to go to church to get your tax break. But you can't start forcing Christianity, otherwise it won't be a choice. And so it's just, you're going to have to live. Do you want freedom or do you want just partial freedom? Deep down, we all really want a theocracy. Once you get saved, it's like, we want God to rule. We're tired of the evil. Just let God rule. We'll obey God. All the sinners have to as well. Well, you're going to get that in the thousand year reign of Christ. But for now, so this gospel can spread to all the heathen, we got to keep the country free. And because the country's free, you can make all these weird movies on television. All the way from psycho, zombie, you know, anger and killing, uh, all the way to pornography stuff. It, it's all free to some degree, right? So uh, unfortunately, that's what we're living with, but it is a huge problem in this nation. Yes, 
wickedness, covetousness. Uh, you can see covetousness in the teenage. I mean, it's everywhere, but teenagers, you'll see it because they're coveting. Uh, or just think of the teenage frenzy over being popular, over looks, cosmetics, uh, music, all, all the frenzy that teenagers get into. A lot of it's very covetous, envy, wanting what somebody has. I like the shape of that body. I think I'll, I'll go get some surgeries. That's weird. If you, if you just take a step back, like if, if you go back to the 1900s, you'd look at today and think, What's wrong with these people? So this list that was written way back then is happening today. It's been happening since. Maliciousness, full of envy, murder, which now we know includes hate. Hating groups, hating different peoples, hating different political parties, just a lot of hate. Jesus said, if you hate, you're a murderer. Strive. You know, just think about it. You can understand why he said that. Because you start hating somebody and you cut them out of your heart. You cut them out of your life. I'm cutting them off. The same thing as killing them. You've heard the term, you're dead to me. Why would you do that? You're killing them. Violent. Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning. Uh, I think we see where some of the generations, maybe the newer generations, they, they, don't, know, they don't have a clue what's right and wrong. When a, when a younger generation cannot listen at all to an older generation, it's not very discerning. That's not very wise. Untrustworthy. Uh, the King James word there is uh, covenant breakers. Untrustworthy. Covenant breakers. And I think we see that uh, more and more and more these days, right? The old day, you could get business done with a handshake and a word. Now you need a, a contract or 10, and people will still break the contract. Uh, people's word doesn't mean as much, uh, and they don't care that it doesn't mean as much. And so when you get born again, you're supposed to get into the the kingdom and say, you know what, now my words matter. And now when I say something, I'm going to honor it. I'm going to be a more loyal and faithful and trusted person. You don't want to break covenant with people. You want to make sure you're uh, able to be trusted. One proverb says this in 2710, it says, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. It says, don't forsake your own friend. You see it happen all the time. Covenant breakers, disconnecting from friends. Happens all the time in church. Somebody just departs for no valid godly reason. Just, okay, fine, just disconnect from friends. Family's more important. This scripture says, wait a second. Don't go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Go to your friend's house. Don't travel far to go to your brother because you're more familiar with him. Go to your friend that you have covenant with. And so this is where you start seeing what Jesus said in the gospels. They came to him 
kind of with this scenario saying, hey, your, your mother and your brother's out here uh, trying to get in. You want, me, you want me to let them in the back door, get them in the secret, secret so they can come close since they're your family? He's like, no, who is my brother and my sister and my mother's but he that does the will of God? He didn't give family preference. He didn't give preferential treatment to his, his blood because he understood covenant. To the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just as special as Mama Mary. Look, I didn't say that. He said that. So be a covenant person. Connect with people. Be loyal, faithful. Have some longevity. Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. If I was you, I'd get some mercy in your heart. Learn how to forgive people. Get over yourself. Have mercy. One way to have mercy on people is just if somebody does you wrong or does something really outlandishly harmful or just crazy, just look at them and think, oh. Somebody lash, lash their tongue at you. Just give you the what for. Oh, you didn't have your coffee today. <laughs> or, 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 or spiritual. Oh, what can I do for you today to help you? Recognize that they're in a, they're in a terrible state, right? That when, even if it's a family member, that they're... They're having a rough day, a rough life maybe. Maybe they're not saved. Maybe they don't know anything. Maybe they don't have any joy of the Holy Ghost in them whatsoever. Maybe they're just so far away from God at the moment, and, and you're the one that needs to recognize it so you can be merciful. Well, they should know better. Yeah, so should you. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore, you're inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. If you've lived uh, longer than about a year in the Lord, you know how this is. You look at somebody and you think, well, I don't do that. Next thing you know, you did it. Well, I would never do that. And you did it last week. And that's all he's saying. He's saying, be careful about, you know, eyeballing people's stuff, deciding that you're holier than them in some way, because you'll end up doing it. I know uh, back, uh, they asked Billy Graham years ago when uh, Jimmy Swaggart had, a, had an issue and, and stumbled, and uh, they wanted Billy Graham to condemn him, and so they put the microphone in him and trying to make him condemn his brother in the family of God, and he said, I'm not saying a word. He said, if, if it could happen to him, it could happen to me. Billy Graham turned out to be a pretty, pretty wise brother throughout his ministry. And I've watched it happen the opposite, too, where if you're, if you're a judger of other people, especially preachers, you'll find yourself falling off a cliff. Yeah. 
Just got real sinister in here, didn't it? Well, it is pretty sinister. Now, now listen, this doesn't mean that you, you know, people have gotten this judgment thing out of whack. Uh, you're supposed to walk uprightly so that you can judge things properly. You don't judge people's hearts and motives and you don't condemn people. You're not the, aven- the avenger, okay, for sin. Let God take care of people. But there is an element of you recognizing right from wrong. You can recognize right behavior from wrong behavior. Uh, just deal with the behavior. Not, not the person, not the heart of the person, not the future of the person. You know, Jesus said uh, in Matthew 7, he said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And a lot of it, the reason is because a lot of times you think what your problems are are a lot smaller than their problem. And Jesus said, you hypocrite, first remove the plank from your eye, your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's an element of, okay, judge yourself first and then offer some help to your brother. So you can offer help to people that you see who are in sin or uh, in danger or who are trapped by the devil. You can offer help to them. And when they say, don't judge me, say, okay, no problem. I was just trying to help you. So there is a time when you can recognize somebody's behavior is wrong. It doesn't mean to never say anything to anybody that you know is about to step in the devil's trap or is already trapped. Just make sure you've judged yourself first. We don't really need the sin police running around. We try to, we try to arrest the sin police themselves. You're supposed to police your own self. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he, is, he himself is rightly judged by no one. All right, so where are we here? Let's read verse uh, 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, old man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That's an important facet for us, that it's his goodness that leads you to repentance. You got to have somewhere good to run. And so you can't think that God put the bad on you. You can't think that God has tore your life up. Why would you run to him? He'd just tear you up some more. No, it's his goodness. It's him being good reminds you, I've got to go to him to get some help here. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Remember, it's the day of wrath. So even though... Uh, sinners aren't zapped today for their sin, they treasure up wrath for the day of wrath. Now, you and I, aren't ex- we're not going to experience the day of wrath, okay? Now, I'll explain wh- why this passage sounds like that for us, too. Uh, the reality is uh, we have a separate judgment than the children of disobedience. The day of wrath is, is coming for the children of disobedience, uh, 
there is a judgment for the Christian, and it does include your behavior. All of our works will be judged and tried by fire. When we enter heaven, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, all of our life will be presented. All of our works will be presented. All of the good things you thought you did, all of the good things you really did. They'll all be examined for motive and, and sincerity and faith and all those things. So God knows the truth of why you did it. He knows what you're going to get treasure for and what you're not going to get. And it'll be thrown in the fire. And what will come out will be gold, silver, precious stones. All the things you did uh, for the glory of God and did with right, right heart, right motive, love of God. And you'll get to keep that for eternity. And everything that you did that wasn't right, they'll get burned up and you'll never see it again. I would say this, that on Judgment Day, any sin that you have not repented for, it'll come up. And you'll have to talk about it. But you won't be punished for it. Because he was punished for you. Any sin that you had committed and repented from and had real remorse for won't even come up. Won't even come up. How can I say that? Because he said, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And he's removed our transgressions from us and he has forgotten our sins. Why would he want to drum them back up? So it'll be an assessment day and, and reality will be there. You see what I mean? So you need faith in two things. Number one, that you will stand before the Lord Jesus. And number two, that you will give account for all the good stuff. And I guess number three, that you need to acknowledge the fact bad stuff that's over with is over. Bad stuff that you've never gotten a handle on, you'll have to talk about it. Like if you never really learned how to walk in love, you're going to have to acknowledge some things. Everything that you didn't learn, you'll have to stand before the Lord Jesus and he'll, he'll have to, I don't know what he's going to say or how he's going to say it. I don't know what the books are going to say, but you'll have to, yeah, yeah. And that's why it says you don't want to feel ashamed. You don't want to be ashamed when you stand before him. So all these things are written so that you can know the test ahead of time so that you're not ashamed. We don't want to have to be ashamed even for a millisecond in heaven. Now, you're not going to be whipped. You're not going to be punished. You're not going to be destroyed. How do I know? There's no whipping post in heaven. You make it to heaven, there's no... Jesus took your whipping. You need to be pretty happy about that. But we do owe it to the Lord to live as if we're going to stand before him, because we are. Uh, verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there's no partiality with God. 
For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Stop there. Okay, from here on all the way to Romans chapter 3, verse 21, he's really speaking to people uh, outside or before the gospel. He's talking about the law here. He's talking about sinning in the law or, or without the law. Jews and Gentiles, it's a discussion uh, to people who, all, that's all they understood was law of Moses or not. Covenant people, Jews or not. Jew and Gentile was the only two classes of people they could think about rather than believers and unbelievers. And so at this point, there's no New Testament written. He's writing a letter to Romans who don't have any New Testament writings yet. All they knew was the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. So he's, he's, he's describing how in the Old Testament, you were supposed to live righteously according to the law if you were a Jew. And then he's bringing in the fact that even people who live righteously without the law, they're counted righteous. And that's where everybody who died before Jesus Christ went to paradise in the depths of the earth. They did not go to heaven because the sacrifice for sin had not been paid. So everybody who died righteously, everybody who lived righteously before Christ went to paradise to await the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's who he's speaking to at this point. Because what you're going to see, he hasn't even gotten into the fact that all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is destined for wrath. He hadn't even, you're going to read these scriptures in just a moment. So he's speaking to them because they're all trying to be good as they can. Up until this point, we, they understood and we understand that those who seek for life are righteous. Those who don't are headed for wrath. Okay? So, verse 12 again. For as many as have sinned without law, because if you're born again, you are obeying the truth. You are seeking good, doing good, patient, continuing for glory, honor, and immortality. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So that's an Old Testament theme there that he's about to erase in the next few scriptures here. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these all, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts excusing, either accusing them or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Okay, so this is how we recognize that those who don't have the gospel preached to them, they will be judged according to their conscience. And if they've never violated their conscience, they've never sinned ever, then they'll, they'll be received by God. Problem is, every human's violated their conscience. How do we know? We're about to read it. This is how you handle the Muslim uh, or, or the, the, the Arab person who lives in the middle of Muslim land and has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. How could God be unjust with them? Well, he's never unjust. He's never unjust. On judgment day, law be clear. Nobody will be mad. If they truly wanted God, then he sent 
that God white-tracked somehow to them. I don't, I don't know how. But we've talked about that before. I'm not going to go through it all today. But there is a way for people who didn't get a Christian chance. People say, in America, you're all Christians, so you get, you get a bigger chance. Well, that is true. There's reasons why um, you know, forefathers do have something to say in, in their descendants. That's true. But if somebody in the Middle East wants to be saved, God will make sure they get saved. How? Well, he might send you. You might have to go and tell somebody about Jesus. There's been preachers who have been sent around the world to one person. So you're going to have to trust that God is just. He's never unjust. He's, he's incorruptible. We've already said that. Uh, verse 17. Uh, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. So now he's going to talk to the Jews without Christ. And know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you're, you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? So he's not speaking to Christians here. We're not boasting in the law. For the, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Well, that's kind of an odd way to say it because we know that everyone's broken the law. Every Jew broke the law. He's saying, if you did, then your circumcision became uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? What's he saying? He's saying the Gentiles who aren't circumcised in the flesh and don't have covenant, if they do what is right, then they'll be counted right. They'll be counted as circumcised. So he's taken them away from the physical act of covenant making through circumcision of the flesh. And he's discrediting Jewish circumcision, saying, hey, you've been thinking that you were that special because you were, but now don't you think that Gentiles who walk uprightly before God are just as right? Verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you? who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he's not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he's a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. So he's basically trying to present to the Jews that, hey, there's a group of people over here that are going to be more righteous than you. They're actually going to judge you. And he's speaking of believers in Christ. He's, he's acting like anybody could do it. Very few do it without Christ. And so now because of Jesus and the gospel, we are the righteous ones. <clears throat> Verse What advantage then has the Jew or what profit of, is there, 
what is the prophet of circumcision? He says, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Stop there. So is there an advantage of being a Jew? Well, there was then. Because, first of all, the Jews had the words of God. They had the instruction of how to live in, the, in this life. They had more detail of holiness and righteousness and honoring God with their, with their life. And because Jesus the Messiah was given to them first. There's an advantage to being a Jew back then. It was because the Messiah came for them. It was because the Messiah delivered them. All that healing, 99% of it was for them. That's a big deal. They got the whole thing first. They got to be saved first, filled with the Holy Spirit first. They got to be apostles first. So there was an advantage to being a Jew. Then he presents another argument. What if some did not believe? Does their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Because you know that some Jews did not believe in Jesus. Did it like nullify the plan of God? No. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it's written, that you may be justified in your words, overcome when you're judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. He's just kind of given a natural argument. Certainly not, for then how will the God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through, through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and as some confirm that we say, affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Okay, so he's just given a human argument based on something they knew of him uh, getting slandered. Verse 9, what then are we better than they? Meaning, are we Jews better than they? No, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. So here all this wrath and all this disobedience, everybody's under sin. As it's written from the Old Testament, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've all together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Their throat's an open tomb. Their tongue's just bad. This is all bad, all wicked, all perverse. Mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their ways. And the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. All right. Look up here, take a deep breath. I know we had to read all that. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Why? So that the whole world could become guilty. The whole world. Everything said to the Jews was so that the whole world could become guilty before God. The whole Old Testament, the law and the, the whole Old Covenant, the law of Moses was written so everyone could understand you're guilty. That was the purpose of the law. It wasn't just to try to make people obey a little bit. It was so that everybody could understand that you're disobedient. You're all unprofitable. Nobody's righteous. Not one of you. That was his message to, to, to the church. The early church had to understand this. They were transitioning out of old covenant thinking into new covenant with Christ, made righteous in him. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So obeying all the deeds of the law, still no flesh is justified. So all that talk about all this disobedience and all that stuff, it's still, it's still important to understand that uh, wickedness and perverseness and, and all that it has the label of the wrath of God. And everybody had it. Before the cross, if you did not seek God, and really it was primarily the Jews who did, then the wrath of God was on them. And when they died, they did not go to paradise. They went to hell. But if you had sought God as best you could and tried to be as right as you could, then you got labeled righteous. Now... It's all different. You need to understand this. Verse 21. But now, everybody say, but now. now. Okay, so now he's brought them to current day. Current day. He had been talking to them uh, as prior to Christ with Jew-Gentile thinking. But now. Changes everything. But now. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the work righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So now the, the King James says, now the righteousness of God without the law. Several translations say without the law. It means separate from the law. Righteousness without law keeping. Now righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ, freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So now the righteousness of God without the law. Everybody say that phrase. Say righteousness, righteousness. Without, the law without the law has been given to me. Through Christ. Righteousness without commandment keeping. Could it be? Uh, not only could it be, that is the heart of the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole reason he came was to save people from their sins to pay the price for their righteousness. So it is the, the entire of Christianity is based on righteousness without the law. So we have been brought into right standing with God without commandment keeping. That's why people can walk down to the front give their life to Jesus with a heartfelt prayer and be saved before they ever keep a commandment. It's a mystery. It's supernatural. It's, it's radical. We think that, oh my gosh, your, your salvation and righteousness is dependent on how well you behave. That's how they thought before Christ. That's how unsaved people think. 
The beauty of this gospel is that he has saved you without your works of obedience. And so we're going to try to end this right now. And then next week we'll kind of cover some substantiation of that. Because we're not, we're not throwing out morality. We're not, we're not tossing out righteous, righteous living. We're just saying that your salvation and righteousness does not depend on it. Our salvation and righteousness depends on faith in Jesus. It's the beauty of Christianity. It's, the, it's totally different than every other religion. Every other religion, every other false religion has a lot of things that you're supposed to do and then hope you make it. Christianity is totally different, so you can't treat Christianity like that. Christians should never act like that. Well, I know you're saved, but you better watch out or you're going to... What? Am I going to what? Well, I don't know. You better watch out. Well, yeah, the, 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 you can say it if you say the right sentence. You, you better watch out or the devil's going to get you. He's going to eat your lunch. He's going to harm your life. He's going to ruin your, your thought life. He's going to mess up your heart. He's going to steal from your, your family. But don't say you're going to lose your salvation. If you have faith in Jesus, then you have, then you have faith in Jesus and you're righteous. So righteousness, right standing with God without law keeping is what we have now. But now righteousness, right standing with God without law keeping. It's the beauty of Jesus Christ. All right. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay. We'll uh, substantiate it and, and, and talk about that more next week. All right. You got it? Praise the Lord. Okay, just so you know, that is the most difficult couple chapters in the book of Romans. Everybody say, glory to God. Glory to God. And, and it, listen, it, it has caused a lot of people to stumble uh, that, because that passage in there that says there's, no, there's none righteous, no, not one, has been used. People would read that passage and stop right there. See, there's none righteous, none of you are righteous. If you assume that that portion was written to Christians, then you simply say, yeah, there is none righteous. None of you are righteous. But now, you got you to read all the way to verse 21. But now, the righteousness without the law. So I'm righteous now. But, through that, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. So you just got to keep reading. And so many people didn't. For, for, for decades, centuries, Christians would preach that from the pulpit. There is none righteous, no, not one. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's true. And, but now I'm made righteous by Jesus Christ. And so I am righteous and I keep my righteousness and I'm accepted by God. So it's a, it's a, it's a major uh, transition in the book of Romans. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. 
You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.